coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. This is your host, Sean Sparkman. I am really excited to be bringing you today Elizabeth Whitman. She is a lawyer that has a big focus on working with business owners. Elizabeth, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Can you tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, I run a um, law practice, a small law practice in the Washington, D.C. suburbs. My focus in my practice is business representation as well as real estate and real estate securities, such as real estate funds. Yeah, my background is I've done a little bit of everything from big firm, small firm. Um, I worked for a little while as an administrative law judge in the District of Columbia, in mostly in the real estate area, code violations, things of that sort. And I was also spent about a decade as general counsel for a company that sponsors real estate funds, but also had a captive real estate property management company. So I was general counsel of that as well. I also nominally am a licensed real estate broker, although my primary livelihood is from the practice of law. Awesome. Uh, Out of curiosity, what was it like being a judge? It was fun because I was an administrative law judge. So the hearings were informal and you were in, you know, up on a little up on a pedestal kind of, but you were behind a desk. It wasn't like the scary courtroom environment. And I got to know the government people who appeared in front of me and know know, who who was really trying to do a good job in keeping the community safe. A lot of the people who came in front of me were real people. They were the little guys trying to make a living. And you had an opportunity to educate them about how to make the community better. I don't get a lot of opportunities to speak with people that were judges or are. So it's kind of a cool question just for me. And I'm sure some people listening would love to hear that type of thing. Now, I do have a question for you. What brought you to focusing on real estate? I've kind of fallen into it. When I got out of law school, I thought I wanted to be a litigator and got quickly assigned to do tax-exempt bond work, which was basically financing real estate development and um, renovation at that point in time. And it kind of seemed that over time, every job I got migrated towards that direction. And I kind of like it. The one thing I like about real estate is you can't be outsourced. I mean, the real estate is in a physical location, so it's not going anywhere. And it's always going to be there for someone who's willing to do the work. Okay. And what does that type of work look like? Well, from a lawyer's perspective, what I do is I will help clients who want to buy real estate. I'll help them with their contracts. Uh, If they need the help, I'll help them with their due diligence, guide them what the things they should be looking into when they buy the real estate, help them review the title to make sure there aren't any bad surprises in their title. And I also will look at the survey and let them know if there's any concern there and answer any kind of legal questions they have along the way. And I also will prepare the closing documents and negotiate their loan terms from a legal perspective and um, help them with the closing. So I start from, you know, from start to finish. It's kind of a turnkey representation. 
my listeners are from all backgrounds. We have some people that, you know, they're already in the real estate and we have some people that are thinking about it or some that are just listening because they love listening to the show. So for those people that aren't in real estate right now, what would they be looking for if they were going to try and get into the real estate business? Well, it depends on what they want to get into. If they want to try to do them, do it themselves, that's a lot of work and they should certainly start small and start with a property that is stabilized, meaning that it has a stable rent, it doesn't need a whole lot of work, and that does produce reasonable revenue and that they can just go with and continue while they learn the business. The other option is to find a an experienced real estate sponsor, similar to the one I used to be general counsel for, and buy a part of one of their funds. Many of these funds will hold multiple real estate investments, which gives a bit of diversification to the portfolio, but it also buys you professional management, professional selection of the real estate, and hopefully for most sponsors that are experienced, it will give you a deep understanding of the market and uh, strong skills to help the property survive in bad economic times like those we have now. And speaking of the economic times now, obviously we have the coronavirus situation going on and then the markets doing their volatility thing at the same time. So how is real estate different and what can that offer people that the normal, you know, put your money in the stock market isn't going to offer them? Well, I mean, real estate is conventionally a high risk investment, so that doesn't go away in bad economic times. But there are opportunities because The way real estate is priced has to do with how much cash comes in the door and what the people want to make based on, you know, what basically effective interest rate they want to make on their investment, taking into account that it is a high risk investment. So right now with real estate revenues potentially going down quite a bit with the poor economy, you're going to have property values going down a lot and Lowering property values is an opportunity for buyers. It's an opportunity for them to get in when the market is falling. And of course, you always try to get it at the bottom of the market. You you never know when when it's hit the bottom, but you get it when it's down low. And then you can ride it back up again. I mean, we just have had some pretty unprecedented gains in the real estate market since the last crash, which was in 2008. And so you ride it again for another decade. You hopefully exit at the top of the market and start all over again. For people that are a little bit older going into their retirement years, is real estate a good idea? I mean, real estate's a high-risk investment. So I wouldn't recommend that someone put their entire portfolio in real estate if they can't afford to lose that money. However, it is a good source of income for people who have a lot of investment income. Because one thing about real estate is you can get some sheltering, I know, has a negative connotation, but sheltering of your income, because when you buy the asset, you get to depreciate it. And you'll have revenue coming in that will be offset by the depreciation that's authorized under the tax laws. So for a while, you'll be getting revenue that functionally isn't taxed. And depending on the nature of your investment, you might be able to even take deductions against um, other income that you have, other investment income. Okay. What type of investment income would you be talking about? Well, I mean, for instance, if you have, you have to, you 
you have to, can't mix apples and oranges in the tax law. And this is something an accountant would answer better than I could. But if you have a long-term capital gain, for instance, something you've sold after holding it more than a year, you can offset that against long-term capital losses. Certain types of earned income, that certain types of income that you have gotten from investments, you can offset um, losses against similar investment income. The law does allow you to take a small amount of investment losses now against your earned income. But of course, someone in retirement probably doesn't have a lot of earned income right now. I have another question for you. It's a little bit off the topic that we're on right now, but similar. What is your craziest story that you have working as a lawyer and in the real estate industry? I mean, that's, that's a hard question. I know one thing that was one of those, you really can't believe this, is I closed, first of all, you don't usually do closings on Fridays. It's just the market isn't real stable, and that was something I learned early. But I had a deal that we closed on a Friday because that's how it fell. And I got a call from the client at like 8 a.m. on Sunday morning that there was a huge multi-million dollar fire at the property. And so it was just a certain, I don't say comedy, but it was like they just bought this thing and all of a sudden there's this huge insurance claim against it that they had to. So that was odd. I mean, I had one where there was a tenant, this is multifamily, where we had a tenant who got in a fight with her, her boyfriend and was rather angry about the breakup. I guess he'd seen someone else. And so she went into his apartment and I guess she poured gas onto the mattress and set it on fire and burnt down a million dollar apartment building. Wow. Yeah. That's, that that's was, a crazy that one. Was one of those, um, that was one of those where I got called and I said, this is arson. I said, now you never want to say it's arson too quickly. And they came back and they described to me what had been spray painted on the walls right before the fire had started, which convinced me that probably it was an intentional fire. And so the the person that owned the property, of course, they had the insurance and they were all set with that, right? They did. The woman, was she was charged with a crime. I'm sure the insurance company attempted to collect against her insurance if she had any liability insurance. Hey, this is Sean with the Safe and Sound podcast. We had a small technical difficulty there with Elizabeth, so we apologize for that. But we got Elizabeth back on the line, and we were talking about the woman who set the bed on fire and burned down a whole complex. Yes, she did. And I remember when I got the call from the client, and they said to me, this was arson. And, of course, always hesitant to claim immediately that this is arson. I said, well, we shouldn't say this too fast. We should wait for the investigators. And the client responded that, well, and the client described profanity spray-painted on the walls right before, apparently, the woman had set the bed on fire, which did tend to support the arson claim. So I, you know, let them get by with that without the official fire marshal report. <laughs> yeah, I brought that up because I used to manage an apartment complex when I was a little bit younger for about four years, and I saw some crazy things. So I knew being in the industry as long as you've been oh. in it that you you would have some good stories. <laughs> yeah, that that was a really crazy one. There there were others, but that one was way up there with the um, you know burning down the million dollar building. And, you know, before you and I jumped on the call today, we were talking a little bit about how much work it is involved with actually owning properties and managing them and that type of stuff. So for the people that are out there that are thinking about getting into it, can you just talk a little bit about what that's like? 
Well, I mean, the first thing I would say for someone who is getting into it for the first time is hire a property management company that's experienced because it's a lot more work than it looks like. You know, in addition to doing the obvious things you see all the time, which is someone renting spaces, showing spaces to tenants, collecting rent, getting leases signed, you also have to maintain the building, which means you need professional maintenance maintenance staff if the building is more than a very, very small building, or you need to have a good list of contractors that you can call quickly if there's problems. You need to understand what's needed to manage the building. You have to deal with tenant relations in a larger, if it's you know, complex, whether it be office or multifamily. You usually have some kind of tenant relationship program where you may have, I know my office building used to have ice cream in the lobby on a certain day of the month, for instance, and they had a holiday gathering. Someone's got to plan all that. Someone's got to brainstorm it, make it interesting, make the tenants feel part of a community. And you're on call, in, at least in a multifamily complex, like I believe that's what you managed, you're on call 24-7. If someone's toilet quits working, they're not going to want to wait till the next business day. So you've got to handle this right away. If you have a large building, you're going to have employees. You have to manage all the human resources issues. You have to deal with it if someone gets, if you have a small staff and someone gets sick and doesn't come in one day. It's basically running a small business is what you're doing. Yeah, and it's really a rewarding business once everything's up and running and you've got it all where you want it, right? It is, and you get to develop relationships with people. You get to help help them live. You get to help them see dreams come true. You sometimes, you know, you'll be sitting with them like today, you know, in these times where maybe things aren't going as well. But you develop human connections in a way that I'm not sure you can get too many other ways. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's ultimately what life is about is relationships with other people, whether it's in business or outside of business. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, I mean, I was—I think I mentioned before we got on that I, I just posted a blog post about landlord-tenant relations during coronavirus. And I think that a really important part of the business is in supporting the tenants and building a sense of community. And that's that's done because it helps your tenants and it's part of the service you provide. But also, let's just face it, if the tenants are happy and think good of you and know you, if they have to decide between paying their credit card bill and paying their rent, the rent may get the upper hand. So yeah, that it's makes good sense. business. Yeah, it's good business as well as being the right thing to do. So in your experience, what do you think it, the future is going to look like here? Well, first, I think that in the next year, year and a half, maybe even a little longer, we're going to see a downturn. The market was already at its peak. We were all, I was waiting at least for something to happen. We quite didn't expect it to be a worldwide pandemic, but something was going to happen that was going to cause decline in the real estate market. It was right at the peak. You could feel that. And cap rates, which is the um, rate that you use to determine when you buy real estate, were already very, very low, couldn't go much lower. So we knew that was coming. Right now, what's going to happen is because the real estate market is really repressed and and tenants won't be able to pay rent. Landlords in retail and office may find a lot more vacancies. And in the short run, landlords are going to be hurting. And when the landlords hurt, that translates in a couple of things. It's going to translate into workouts in loans where lenders are going to have to make concessions or they may not get paid at all. In some instances, unfortunately, it will probably lead to foreclosures where people just can't afford to keep the property opened. 
and that's a sad circumstance for the people who it happens to, and it's not great for the lenders either. They really didn't, they're not in the business of owning real estate, most of them. However, it's an opportunity for people who want to invest because with the real estate market declining, there's an opportunity to invest when the market is towards the bottom. And so far, interest rates have stayed low, and it's starting to look like the government may work hard to keep them low, which is another great time to invest when interest rates are low, particularly when you can get a fixed-rate loan. So it looks like it could be a perfect storm for investors, not necessarily as good for the people already in the market who are going to have to hold on tight um, as they try to weather the storm. Right, and when you say interest rates are low, the the Fed, you know, put them down to zero percent, which we've never seen before in history. No, and I've well, I've heard know, talk of <laughs> negative, possibly. <laughs> well, you know, and not to, not to get off topic because I don't know the field, but I mean, it's you saw today that like the oil market, the futures oil market went negative, like people were having to pay to get oil off their hands. I mean, I don't think anyone expected that to happen. So we're dealing with some pretty crazy things. I don't think that interest rates will get a whole lot lower. And, of course, they're not zero for real estate because there is no right. risk. The, you know, there's a higher risk. But the rates are still very low. And as long as they stay that low, if you can buy the property when it's priced low and if you're lucky enough to get a low interest rate, then then that's the perfect situation and the perfect environment to buy. And if you can get a low interest rate that's assumable and fixed rate, you can – also make money off the loan assumption when the next person buys the real estate. So they would be buying the real estate subject to a low interest rate loan and they're willing to pay for that opportunity. So you can kind of get a double, you know, double hit on your money. Well, I, I want to wrap this up a little bit here. So for people that want to work with you or learn more about you, what would that look like? I, they should take a look at my website. It's at www. WhitmanLegalSolutions.com. That's Whitman, spelled like the poet or the candy, as I say, W-H-I-T-M-A-N. They could write to me at Elizabeth at WhitmanLegalSolutions.com. I'd be happy to talk to people about how I can help them set up a real estate fund or help them with their business. Yeah, and you can always get in touch with us, and we'll also have notes uh, in the show notes with links to Elizabeth's website for people that are interested in learning more and want to see what it is that she does. And then, Elizabeth, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask? Oh, my goodness. That's a hard question. Well, not that I can think of offhand. I would just One thing I've always said that I think I did mention earlier is that um, real estate is local. It's one business that can never be outsourced, and... So it's a good business to be in because people will always, always need to be renting real estate and it's always going to be a business opportunity. And it is part of an important diversified portfolio. It shouldn't be your whole portfolio, but there should be some real estate in it. Yeah, that makes sense. And before we go, I have one more question for you. It's another tough one. What are uh -oh. you curious about going into the future? Oh, my goodness. What I'm curious about is one thing I've telecommuted for the last, Oh, 14, 15 years. And I'm curious to see what's going to happen now that companies have developed the infrastructure to telecommute and have more remote work. And what's going to happen with travel? We, here we've opened up to a global economy, and are we going to suddenly collapse a lot more where people are willing to connect on the Internet rather than traveling to see each other? 
Yeah, I, I think that it's really going to revolutionize now that people have been forced to use the technology that's already been around. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of that from a lot of different businesses that weren't using it. And now that they are, they're, well, hey, we don't have to do as much actual physical travel anymore. And, you know, that's something I've been promoting for a long time. But also, now that the businesses have invested in the infrastructure, they've already spent the money, might as well use it, right? Right. And I think people are going to be more comfortable with it, too, which I think is a good thing for the future for everyone. It is. And I think that, you know, the next big concern is probably going to be cybersecurity because with the opening up of all the telecommuting and remote work and with people who maybe aren't as experienced, it is also unfortunately an opportunity for those who would um, use that situation for their own opportunity and illegal gain. Well, Elizabeth, thank you very much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I, I think we're going to have some more conversations in the future. Uh, is there anything else you want to add in? I think that does it. Okay, great. Hang in there. Stay safe. Yeah, right. Stay safe and healthy. For the listeners, my name is Sean Sparkman, your host of the Safe and Sound Podcast. And as always, we're going to be bringing you people from all across the country and all different walks of life to help you build that safe and sound lifestyle that you want. And thank you very much for listening. And like we said, please stay healthy, stay safe, and one day we'll be back to a normal life again. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave.